If you would turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, 
also. He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we ask it. And all God's people said, Amen. Memory is a funny thing. Too often we forget things we'd like to remember, right? Where did I put the keys? When was that appointment? Why did I come upstairs? The, the one I never, I never need help with is why I'm standing in front of the refrigerator, right? On the other hand, we can't forget things we wish we could, mistakes we've made, injuries done to us. Sometimes our memory of, of an event is distorted and colored by, by the strength of the emotions we felt at that moment. There's a reason that the Bible says that memory is critically important if we are to live in the way that reflects God's nature and God's purposes to a fallen world. Last weekend was Memorial Day weekend. It was also Pentecost Sunday. With good reason, Pastor Dave focused on that portion of the day in worship. On Monday, we remembered the sacrifice of love and lives laid down in the service of the nation. It's right for us to remember those who paid the ultimate price to protect and preserve the nation. My, my dad served in the 26th Yankee Division in World War II. It was one of the three divisions that George Patton led to the relief of Bastogne during the coldest northern European winter in a hundred years. Pulled out of a battle, they marched, motored, and fought their way over a hundred miles to that crossroad town. It was difficult for Dad to talk about his time of service. He often said, I wasn't a hero, but I served with heroes. Dad's service changed him. Having seen the work of generations destroyed, he returned for more determined to build community wherever God placed him. Memory shaped his life choices afterward for the good, but know that service always costs. He was embarrassed for you to see his feet without socks on, right? Because that, that, that cold, wet winter had, had forever scarred and damaged him. And and there were times when, when remembering brought back pain. The reality is his division um, suffered 180% casualties during his time of service. So the division was replaced one and four-fifths times. It's it, quite honestly the grace of God that I'm standing here. So... We should celebrate service given. It's proper to reflect on the cost of personal and national freedom. The Bible repeatedly cautions us to remember for a similar reason. Biblical memory transforms us for the better. The story told by the Bible is filled with accounts that remind us 
of the value of memory with mnemonic devices and cues by which we can remember. Abram creates a blood path that he and God will walk in sign of covenant commitment. But in grace, God walks that path on behalf of both of them. Jacob erects a standing stone to remember his dream at Bethel and and the marvel that heaven and earth could meet. After Joshua leads Israel across the Jordan, they're instructed by God to erect standing stones to remember not only God's faithfulness in that moment and in countless others, but also to remember that every person is required to place their trust in God for deliverance. There are no free passes. You don't gain entry into God's kingdom on my faithful trust and obedience, nor do I on yours. Why remember? Memory grounds us in the present moment in a positive way. Remembering what God has done reminds us of his nature. As we remember whose we are, we again know who we are. And then we can confidently live knowing what we're to do. This is why Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, challenges us. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. It makes clear why Revelations chapter 2, verse 5, cautions us. Remember, therefore, from whence you've fallen... Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The humility produced by memory allows us to live in the present with sharp intention and with greater confidence. We keep God's mission in sight rooted deeply in our, in our hearts and our minds. Second. Memory encourages us because if those who have gone before us could do this in that moment, in that moment, we can achieve far more than we imagine possible in our moments. No wonder the writer of Hebrews includes this in chapter 11. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Third, memory allows us to occupy this space in this moment with far greater integrity. Of course, as as Christ followers, we know that this is possible because of God's love of Christ's grace-filled work, and the Holy Spirit's gifting of the character and strength required. The writer of Lamentations, long before Christ's birth, said it like this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. 
the gift of God's mercies made fresh every morning make it possible for us to be holy. <clears throat> Peter noted, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now, here's the irony. When we chose to rebel against God, we chose to forget who God is, who God will be, right? Who God was. And to forget all that God had done, was doing, and would yet do. In essence, we chose amnesia. In a world filled with forgetful self-deception, we remember to reestablish ourselves in the truth. God's truth. And, and, and so we remember because it's so easy for us to get off track. That's why Jesus challenges us to take the bread, right? To drink the wine in remembrance of Him. We desperately need an ongoing reboot. Those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, who submitted to His Lordship in grateful obedience, won't make it a single day without fresh need for God's grace and redirection. That's why Jesus gave up all of his heavenly prerogatives and took on flesh. As John told us in chapter 1, verse 14, and John 3, verses 16 and 17, here's the amazing news. Jesus came to restore a relationship that had been irrevocably, irrevocably breached by sin. He paid the price of that sin through his own body and blood, his very life sacrificed as an offering to purchase ours. He came to begin the process of restoring the image of God in people who had cast it aside for a self-imaged life. Jesus did this so that your life and mine could again become purposeful according to God's intention and will. We are again able to multiply people created in the image and likeness of God. We do this by God's grace and through His power. Now, our remembering is deep and transformative. The word for remembrance that Jesus used in Luke 22 and Paul quotes in our passage this morning is the Greek word anamnesis from anamnesco, right? Bring to mind it. Perfectly, it's properly understood as a deliberate recollection done to better appreciate what has happened. But it's not time-restricted. I want you to hear me on this. It's not time-restricted. We remember the past, the present, and the future as if we were there in that moment. That means that the manna God provided in the wilderness was to sustain you and to sustain me. That means that the Passover in Egypt, when the destroyer came and took Egypt's firstborn, was to deliver us. The Passover celebration, which Jesus observed the night of his arrest, meets us with grace as it welcomes prodigal children like us home. And as we remember Christ's sacrifice for us, we are in that moment at table with God in the kingdom at the end of time with all of the saints at the party to end all parties perfectly restored in every way. When we remember who God is and what God has done, 
it becomes easier to trust that we are His. We can truly know who we are as God designed and intended and live confidently knowing what we're to do. Resting in this knowledge inspires us to recommit to God's work, trusting God's will and hungering to do it in God's way, a way that reflects His character, His nature. The word sacrament, in Latin sacramentum, means a soldier's oath. It was picked up by the early church from Rome's legions. When soldiers verbally pledged their service to Rome and Caesar, they were tattooed or branded with the symbol of their legion and a symbol of the empire as a sign of their vow. When we're baptized, there is an initial affirmation of one's allegiance to Christ as Lord and Savior. We pledge our allegiance to God, to His will and way in the world, and in a very real sense, we sign our enlistment papers in God's service. For all of those baptized who are present at someone else's baptism, there's a re-upping of verbal and visual signing of our re-enlistment papers in God's service. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are in a very real sense also signifying our re-enlistment in God's will, God's work, and God's way in the world. This is how it works. In times long past, when contracts were covenanted, people who couldn't read or write made a mark, an X, instead of their signatures. In medieval times, two X made this legal and binding. Two witnesses were required who could read and write, often including the community's priest. And they would sign the agreement. Then the party or parties who couldn't write would, after hearing the agreement read, kiss the X, right? They'd pick it up and kiss the X. There is a sign act that symbolizes their agreement with this contract. Kissing the X is what legal scholars call performance law. Performance law. It's a ritual act witnessed by the persons drafting the document and the ones covenanting together with it. It served as an oath to guarantee that the obligations stated within the document would be fully carried out. So a sacrament and communion functions on one level as performance law. Remember, when someone is baptized, all believers present at the service are called to remember their vows. Sometimes those gathered are asked to stand and reaffirm their faith. One of the ways we do that is, is stating the Apostles' Creed together, right? In so doing, we signify our recommitment to God's will, work, and way. But it's the same with the Lord's Supper, another sign act. Both are outward visible signs of an inward invisible grace at work in us, transforming us for God's glory. They are potent manifestations of performance law. They indicate our acceptance of God's grace, our agreement with God's will, our commitment to God's way. Jesus' last words were, you will bear witness for me. 
you will bear witness for me. Do you hear it? We are to kiss the ex and go and show and tell the world. So, in sacraments, in communion, we bear witness to a new world forged by God's grace and sealed by God's love. In baptism, we affirm before the gathered community and world that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. We proclaim we are His. In the Lord's Supper, we reaffirm that we are Christ as we signify our recommitment to His work in the world. And when we partake, right, when we eat this bread, when we drink this wine, we become living signs of the scope and greatness of God's power and the marvel of His loving and transformative grace. And thank God for that. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and chapter 4, verses 1 through 14, Paul helps us remember how God has recast, how God has rewritten, how God has reset our individual stories in and through Jesus Christ. So be mindful that as we come to the Lord's table, all of the pieces you're about to hear are in play. You've been saved by grace as a gift and were passionately loved even when you were completely unlovable. You have been blessed with every blessing. You were chosen before the world was formed. You've been adopted through Jesus Christ who redeemed you at a terrible cost. You've been brought back to the family table robed, ringed, and sandaled. You have an inheritance that would make a child of Warren Buffett or Bill Gates envious. You do. You were sealed in that inheritance with the gift of God's presence, power, and purpose, the Holy Spirit. You have a mission and purpose to live for the praise of God's glory as you witness to God's grace. You were dead, but now are alive. You were disobedient, but now can obey. You were raised up and sealed with Christ so that you have position and authority. These are the truths that we remember. But these are also the reality of how that memory transforms us for the present moment. One of the things that Dave and I both experienced that I think and hope any pastors experience as they do this work over a number of years is, is to see is to see how good news of Jesus Christ reshapes and transforms a heart, a mind, a spirit. At one of the churches I served, the head of a family was suffering from Alzheimer's. And, and bit by bit, memory, memory had eroded, robbing him right, of more and more of who he was by God's grace. But here was the really cool and amazing thing. We reached a point where Chuck hadn't spoken for literally months. And he wasn't doing well. And I went to have communion with him one last time. And, and because it's my, my practice that we just don't do this randomly taking it out of context, we worship together, his daughter and I. And as part of that worship, 
I began to sing to him, right? And somebody who hadn't spoken in two months began to sing the words of amazing grace with me, verse by verse, chorus by chorus, right? We sang, Jesus, love me. And, and he sang stronger because you see, this is what happens by God's grace. Little by little, all that is of this world gets winnowed away until what is left is holy and completely God's. Holy and perfectly reflects Jesus Christ. In a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to come forward and receive grace sufficient for the needs of the day. You'll have a chance to let go and let God be God. And as you remember Jesus' sacrifice, you'll have the opportunity to be remembered and made one within, heart, mind, and spirit, and one without. One body, one faith, one baptism, one Lord and Savior of us all. And then if you eat and drink in Jesus' remembrance... You can reaffirm the oath of allegiance you made in baptism as you celebrate the real presence of our risen Lord with you. In fact, in you. Or maybe for the first time in your life, you can step down from the throne and submit your life to God. Claim Jesus as both Lord and Savior and walk a new path in this old world. A new path that will take you into the next. As always, the choice is yours. Our loving Father patiently waits to meet us with His grace and embrace us with His love and welcome. There and only there will we find our true identity, nature, and calling. Worship team, come on up. So so how does God manage this transformation of sinful people like us into His faithful representatives? People to show him and, and tell of him to their neighbors. Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 leads us there. Paul reminds us that he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Friends, God's mission to redeem a fallen world produces the church. We don't produce the mission The mission produces us. The mission defines and shapes us. The church does have an agenda. It is the agenda, right? Jesus told us, you were my witnesses. He said, make disciples of all nations. How do we do it? Well, we love as we've been loved to the cross. We forgive as we've been forgiven fully, freely, and sacrificially. We hope in the face of utter And complete hopelessness. We live God's perfect community in the here and now, not just the hereafter. First one step, then another, taken in faith, and suddenly, lo and behold, the gospel is enfleshed again, but now in us. And that's a gift of grace and a miracle beyond my ability to really comprehend. And so we live in the middle of a story that's so much bigger than we imagine that we can't take it in. And by God's grace, we are partners in that story. So, you and I, 
body of Christ, the church. We are the living witnesses in this world to God's new order. We are privileged to bring others to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so that they might know the love, the grace, the hope that we've received in Jesus Christ. And we boldly proclaim good news unlike any other news in our world. And I don't know if you've been watching the news in our world, but it's, it's not particularly good. We trust God to change hearts and to transform minds. And that, my friends, is a calling great enough and humbling enough for me. I pray, God, that you'll join me in it. And all God's people said, Amen. If you heard what I said, then when you come to the table this morning, you'll understand that you come to a table that is so rich in meaning, that, that, is, that, that, is, that is so layered, right, that, that we can't hardly begin to take it in. Because it's a table of forgiveness and grace. It's a table of love and welcome. It's a table of thanksgiving for heaven's sakes because of all that we've, we've been given by God as a gift of grace through Jesus Christ. It's a table where broken people are remembered and made whole as we remember whose we are. It's a table that as we remember resets us on a path with a purpose that is so beyond ours we can hardly take it in. It's a table of all this and more. But it's also a table in which, partaking, we recommit to God's work, to God's will, to God's way in the world. So, it's not a table that we come to casually. So this morning, as we do our celebration, as is our practice, we'll start back rows out on the outside aisles, come forward. Um, and you will take the bread, take the wine as you want, go back to your pew and sit down where we will partake together. Um, And as you prepare, remember that this is a table that we come to most seriously because we make a commitment here, right? So don't come casually. If you're not, if you're not the Lord's, if, if you're not willing to let Jesus Christ be your Lord and Savior, don't come, right? And, and Dave and I and... Any one of a number of elders would be glad to sit down with you and talk to you about that, about making that commitment. But if you are, come. Come, having acknowledged before God your need, having acknowledged before God His ability. Come. So, brothers and sisters, the table is set. Our Lord and Savior most certainly awaits 
come taste and see the goodness of God. We'd also like to invite you today, if you, um, Memorial Day began as a remembrance of those who offered their lives for us, and we do remember. And we continue as a member of the one who made the greatest sacrifice at the cross, Jesus. But it's also kind of morphed into um, a time when we remember our beloved that have gone before. And today, as you come and receive your elements, if you'd like to remember someone in particular, Bill, I'd invite you to later as we, as we take the elements to just say that out loud, I remember you, Jesus. But I invite you, as you come by the table, if you'd like, to uh, remember someone as well. I'm going to remember um, my mother, Ethel. Remember all the ways that she loved and taught me about the Lord, about life. Beloved, come to the table of the Lord, beginning with those of you in the back, Chad, Amber, would you guys help us by um, 